Well, it has been kind of an eventful week. It appears that the chaos of our world continues to intensify. And such chaos reminds us that we are living in a broken world. And during the times like Jesus described in Matthew chapter 24, where he said, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginnings of sorrows. Notice that those words at the end of Matthew chapter 24, verse six, they say, see that you are not troubled. In troubling times, see that you are not troubled. How is that even possible? In another passage in the New Testament gospel of John, Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, verse one, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions, were it not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome that it is through the patience and comfort of the scriptures that we can find hope. At the very least, this weekend, I want to encourage you with those hopeful words. Our Lord is on the throne. He is unsurprised by the happenings of our world. And he desires to work in and through these situations to expand his kingdom, to reach people with the good news of the gospel. Now, in our study in Deuteronomy, Israel 3,400 years ago was on the verge of some tumultuous times for themselves as they were preparing to come into the promised land. And as they are preparing to come into the promised land, Moses is giving them some final instructions before they crossed over the Jordan River and into the land. And I believe that one of the encouraging words of hope that Moses continues to emphasize in this passage is that he repeatedly speaks of their entry into the possession of the promised land or their entry into the land to take possession of it. He speaks of it as if it is a complete certainty. We find this again in the passage that we are in today in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse one. It says, these are the statutes and the judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. Notice that Moses does not say in that passage, I really hope that you guys get into the land and I'm really hopeful that you will take possession of it. Instead, he says you are going into the land and every place on which the sole of your foot treads, it is going to be yours. He also tells them that no man shall be able to stand against you. And as we saw last time in our study in Deuteronomy chapter 11, at verses 31 and 32, he says, you will cross over the Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord God is giving you, and you will possess it and dwell in it. And you shall be careful to observe all the statutes and judgments which I set before you today. 
in a similar fashion when Jesus in Matthew 24 is talking about the tumultuous and troubling happenings upon the earth, when he's talking about wars and earthquakes and famines and pandemics and persecution and all of these sort of things, he says to the people that he was speaking to, to his disciples, he says, see that you are not troubled. In Matthew 24, verse 13, he says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. I bring this up because sometimes when crazy and chaotic things are happening in the world, like those things that have been happening seemingly frequently in our world, I will be asked by people, Pastor, do you think that it is the end of the world? Now, honestly, I can say to that question, I, I don't know for certain. I don't know when the end of the world is going to come. In fact, Jesus didn't know when the end of the world is going to come. But I will tell you this. I think that at this moment, it's not over quite yet. I think that God has more for us to do. These may be challenging and troubling times that we are going through and have been going through for the last several years, but they are also very opportune times. These are times of opportunity for you and for me to share the hope that God has given to us with those that we interact with. I'm absolutely certain that you have neighbors, coworkers, family members, friends who are troubled by all of the things that are going on in the world. And the scriptures would say, see that you're not troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. And we want to be able to encourage people with the hope that God gives us from the scriptures. And in a similar way, when Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and 12 is speaking as if the possession of the promised land is a foregone conclusion, that they're going to take possession, he's speaking great hopeful words, encouraging the people. They had troublesome times that were going to be coming before them. They were going to have to battle it out to take possession of the promised land. But Moses speaks to them as though the promised land is theirs and all they have to do is go in and take hold of it. So he's given them comfort, encouragement, and hope from his words that he gives to him. And the scriptures give us comfort, encouragement, and hope. And I want to encourage you with some of the hope of the scriptures today. Let not your heart be troubled. Put your trust in God, even in the midst of tumultuous situations as we look at the world around us and all the chaos that is happening. So we are now coming again to Deuteronomy chapter 12 this morning. And as we open to Deuteronomy chapter 12, we are opening to a new section of this book from chapter 12 of Deuteronomy through the end of chapter 26 of Deuteronomy. Moses is going to be focusing on three basic things in these passages. We're going to see come up quite a bit. He's going to be focusing on the ceremonial laws for the children of Israel. He's going to be focusing on the civil laws for the children of Israel. And he's going to be talking about the social laws for the children of Israel. It is important when we are looking at these three things, the ceremonial, civil, and social laws of Israel, that we remember that the name Israel means governed of God or governed by God. The reason that the people of Israel have the Pentateuch, that's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, or oftentimes it's referred to as the Torah, the reason that the children of Israel have the Torah, which that word Torah actually means law in Hebrew, the reason that they have it is that they were to be governed directly by God. Israel was to be a theocracy. 
So in a sense, the words that Moses is giving to the children of Israel here in Deuteronomy, as he's rehearsing the law to them again, just before they come into the promised land, this is their governing constitution, the document by which they were going to live. And in this passage, Moses is exhorting Israel as a pastor. He is pastoring the people and he is exhorting and encouraging the people of Israel to be devoted fully to God. And he begins here in this chapter, chapter 12, by focusing on the ceremonial laws of Israel. And he's going to talk about a number of things having to do with their worship. He's going to talk about the place of their worship. He's going to talk about the pattern of their worship. He's going to talk about the purity of their worship. And he's going to talk about the purpose of their worship. So that's what we're going to be looking at today as we go through Deuteronomy chapter 12. The place of Israel's worship, the pattern of Israel's worship, the purity of their worship, and the purpose of their worship. So with that in mind, look first at Deuteronomy chapter 12 verses 1 through 5, and we're going to consider here in this passage the place of Israel's worship. Deuteronomy chapter 12 verse 1 says, These are the statutes and the judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess served their gods. On the high mountains and on the high hills and under every green tree, and you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things, but you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all of the tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. When Israel took possession of the promised land after the book of Deuteronomy, after Moses dies, after Joshua begins to bring them into the promised land, when Israel took possession of the promised land, the land was filled with idolatry. The places of idol worship of the ancient Canaanites that lived there dominated the hilltops and the valleys of that region and that land. They worshiped, the Canaanites worshiped multiple deities and they worshiped these false gods in all kinds of immoral and in many ways very vile and carnal ways. And Israel, Moses tells them, they were not to do as other conquerors would often do when they were taking, taking possession of a new territory. The typical practice of ancient peoples was to come in and replace the deities of the conquered people with the images to their own gods. So in essence, if you were a conquering individual, you know, the Syrians are coming down into Cana, or, um, Canaan, they would come and they would take over some of these Philistine cities and they would just topple the false gods of the Philistines and in the temples or on their high places, they would just put the images of their Syrian gods. So they just replace the deities in those places. But Israel was not to do that. Here in this passage in Deuteronomy chapter one verses, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 12 verses one through five, Israel's told that they are to destroy all of the places that the nations were serving these false gods. The high places, so on the mountaintops, they would build their temples or they would build their places to worship their false gods on the mountaintops to try and get closer to the gods, if you will. And then in the, the heavily wooded groves, they would also worship their false gods. So on the high places and in the groves, the Canaanite gods were worshiped. 
And these places, Moses says to the children of Israel, they are to be destroyed. The altars were to be destroyed, the sacred pillars, and these were the images to a deity called Asherah. They were to be broken down. The wooden images were to be burned with fire. The carved images were to be cut down. The names of these deities, names as you read through the Old Testament like Baal or Bel or Shemosh or Dagon or Asherah or Molech, these names were be, to be removed from the land. Israel essentially was to purify the land and to rid it of all of its idolatry. And then after the removal of the stain of idolatry, they were told in that passage in verse 5 of Deuteronomy chapter 12, they were to seek the place where the Lord God would choose for them to have his name be as a dwelling place. They were to look for the place that God was going to ordain would be the place of the worship of the one true God. Ultimately, as you follow the story of the Old Testament, that's going to end up in Jerusalem where the temple would be established. But what God is saying in this passage is that he is not to be worshiped in the places or in the way or the pattern that the Canaanite gods were worshiped. There was to be a place where the Lord God would be worshiped in a proper way and in a proper pattern. The idea of the place that God would choose to be worshiped is central in this passage. In fact, if you look through this passage, you're going to see the idea of this place comes up quite a bit. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5, we read, But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all of the tribes to put his name for his dwelling place. But then you skip on down to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 11. And there it says, Then there will be the place where the Lord God chooses to make his name abide. Then skip down from Deuteronomy chapter 11 to, I'm sorry, verse 11 in chapter 12 to chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but the place which the Lord chooses is the place that you are to worship him. Then Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 18. But you must eat them before the Lord your God, these offerings that they give to the Lord, in the place which the Lord your God chooses. Then skip on down to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 21. There it says, the place where the Lord your God chooses. Then in verse 26, go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. So over and over and over again in this passage, the place, the place, the place is mentioned. You're not to worship in all of the places like the Canaanite peoples did, but you are to worship in the place that God chooses for himself. The principle at work in this passage has to do with the place of God's choosing. And in this, we are, I believe, given an important lesson. And this important lesson is pretty simple. When God becomes Lord over our lives or of our lives, he alone is to take the exalted place of honor in our lives. It is certain that this requires a removal of old places and old names that we were committed to. You see, when Christ comes into our lives, when he occupies the place of honor in our lives, there are high places or dark groves, if you will, that need to be destroyed. They need to be burned and broken and cut down and removed from our life. This is where the New Testament principle of putting off the old man and putting on the new man comes in. In the New Testament book of Ephesians, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. 
He says, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Just like Moses's call to the children of Israel when they were getting ready to come into the promised land, the apostle Paul's call to you, if you're a follower of Jesus today, is that when Christ comes into the territory of your life or my life, all of the old places of devotion in our lives, they need to be removed. Now, this removal process, which the Bible would call sanctification, it takes, it takes time. It's a process. It's not something that happens overnight. But God is not honored by our addictions or our misplaced priorities or our passions. All of those things are like former idols that we devoted ourselves to. We devoted our energy, our assets, our time to our addictions or our priorities, misplaced priorities and our passions. And God can't be worshiped with those old things, with those old idols. He can't be worshiped with these things. And so our lives need to be sanctified. If this sanctification of our lives is not a priority, then we will very easily slide back into the bondage of idolatry, which is exactly what we witness with the children of Israel in the Old Testament time and time again, because they, they actually didn't remove all of the high places and all of the groves where the, the Asherah poles were or the, the images to Baal were. They, they didn't remove these things. And so these things became a snare and they would be kind of drugged back into the worship of these idols. So this sanctification of our lives is not something that we can kind of put aside. It needs to become a priority. But also this sanctification of our lives, of consecrating our lives to the Lord and removing all the old idols, if you will, it's not something that we do on our own. We have a helper that helps us in this. In fact, in the New Testament, the Bible talks about how this is the sanctification of the spirit. It's a process whereby God is working in us to will and to do his good pleasure. And God even uses his word. Uh, John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus said, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. So God sanctifies and cleanses us by the washing of the water of his word. He sanctifies us by his spirit, by his word, by our engagement within the body of Christ, within the church. God uses the church, his body to be a sanctifying tool in our lives. And his sanctification is meant to remove the places of divided devotion in our lives, of idolatry in our lives. Now, at this point, it's possible that you might object and say, well, there, there are no places of divided devotion in my life. There's no idolatry in my life. And I, I wish that that were true. I think God desires that we would not have divided devotion either. But the fact is that we are easily distracted. We're easily distracted by idols and you can assess your own life to see if there are things that are distracting you or removing your focus from God to some sort of idol by asking some simple questions. You can ask, what in my life am I devoting or sacrificing my energy to? What am I giving my energy to? What in my life am I devoting or sacrificing my assets to, my money to? What in my life am I devoting or sacrificing 
um, my time to. So your energy, your assets, or your time. The things that we dedicate or sacrifice our energy, our assets, and our time to are the things that occupy the place of devotion and worship in our lives. And maybe it's not the place of devotion, but many places of devotion. But those things that receive the sacrifice of our, our might, our money, and our minutes, our energy, asset, and time, if you will, they will ultimately grow to be supreme and dominant in our lives. Whatever you give your time, your money, your energy to, that thing is going to become the priority of your life. It's going to become the dominant supreme thing in your life. It will become your God or your idol. And this is a continual pitfall. If you tuned in with us with my last message, you know that I talked about the danger of two different pitfalls that the children of Israel were in danger of falling into. And those two different pitfalls for Israel or that they were dealing with were the pitfall of forgetfulness, where we forget uh, the Lord and his way or his word. And not just forgetfulness, but unfaithfulness, where we turn from the Lord to idolatry. So spiritual infidelity, if you will. So forgetfulness and unfaithfulness are the two major pitfalls that Israel was facing. And we face these things as well. And I, even as a pastor, I am in constant danger of losing sight of God's way, the way that is given to us through his word by forgetfulness, by not spending time with the Lord and, and really hiding his word in my heart. And not only can I, can I, find myself in a place of forgetfulness, but I can have a, a slide towards misplaced priorities and devotion and sacrifice where I have kind of unfaithfulness in my life, where there's a spiritual idolatry or adultery in our lives. Your work can become an idol. You can give all of your energy and all of your time and all of really your engagement of your, your mind and your body towards your work, and then your, your work becomes an idol. Or you can give everything that you have to your children and then your children become an idol, or you can give it to your pets, or you can give it to all kinds of different things. Amassing wealth can be the thing that you give all of your energy, assets, and time to, or gaining things, getting lots of possessions becomes an idol, or accumulating power becomes an idol. As I said in my message last time, idolatry always robs us of God's blessing and it causes us to be removed from the place of his promises. And so we have to be really careful to not allow there to be anything that distracts us from worshiping God or having God in his rightful place. So what then is the response? How should we respond to these things? Well, the passage here in Deuteronomy chapter 12 verses one through five says that we need to utterly destroy all the places where these idols are served. And we need to tear down all of the altars that have been lifted up and exalted to these things and break down the sacred pillars and burn the wooden images and cut down the carved images and destroy their names from that place. There is a, a complete destruction and removal of all of the old things that distract us from worshiping God or become our idols. As the apostle Peter writes in one of his New Testament letters, we need to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. You see, Israel was in danger of being distracted by idolatry, the idolatry of the former people who lived in the land of Canaan, the Canaanite peoples. And so when they came into the land of Canaan, they had to purge the land of all of the idolatry. And when Christ comes into our lives, when we become followers of Jesus, there are certain things in our lives that are high places or groves where there's kind of idols that we have been worshiping, we've been devoted to, giving our energy assets and time to. Those things need to be purged. They need to be cleaned out. And we need to sanctify God in our hearts. He becomes the one that sits on the throne, the place of our lives. And so 
this is what we're talking about in this passage. The place of Israel's worship needed to be a priority. So I said that there were four things, the place of Israel's worship, the pattern of their worship, the purity of their worship, and the purpose of their worship here in this passage. So we have the place of their worship in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 12, verses one through five. And then second, we have the pattern of their worship. Look at what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 12, beginning again at verse five. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all of the tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. And there you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in the land safely, then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, and all of your choice offerings, which you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses in one of the tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings and there you shall do all that I commanded you. The ancient peoples in the land of Canaan and all of the other places in the ancient Near East, they worshiped on virtually every high hilltop and under every green tree. But they, they also had places of worship within their own homes. They sacrificed to these false gods. They performed rituals of devotions in many ways and in virtually every place. But God's call to his people was that they were to worship in the one place and in the proper and prescribed ways in that place. Now, it's not my aim to go in depth describing the proper and prescribed ways of how they were to worship God uh, with their sacrifices, their tithes, their heave offerings, their vow offerings, and so forth. You can read the book of Leviticus to get all the details of the pattern which they were to offer these various offerings. The whole book of Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus. So Leviticus, the fourth book of the Bible, goes in depth on all the ways that they were to offer these offerings to the Lord. So I'm not going to go in depth on each of these. Each of these offerings, though, that Moses mentions, they had specific patterns, specific ways that they were to be offered and, and also ways in which they were not to be offered. So God explicitly tells them in the book of Exodus how they are to be offered and how not to offer these things. So God was not to be worshipped however the people wanted because very quickly, if it was not according to his prescribed pattern and way, their worship would devolve toward immoral idolatry, which constantly happened. All you have to do is study the Old Testament to see this. So God says to his people, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse eight, we just read it a moment ago. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. When God is your Lord, he is to be honored after the pattern that he prescribes. We are to do God's work in God's way. 
what that means is that when someone tells me, and I've, I've had people tell me these kinds of things before, when someone tells me something like, when I smoke pot, I feel close to God. Uh, no, that's, that's not the way it works. Or someone says to me, you know, God is love, God is a God of love, and so he must be fine when I am loving my girlfriend, so to speak. And no, again, that's, that's not what the scriptures prescribe. That's not the way that God says that he is to be worshiped. So I do not get to do whatever is right in my own eyes. I do not get to determine what is the proper pattern for serving God. Doing God's work in God's way requires that we discover in the scriptures what God's work in God's way looks like. What are the offerings that God desires? What are the sacrifices that he requires? What are the tithes? What are the offerings? What has God called you to do? What does God desire or require of me? I only get to know that as I go through the scriptures. If I, if I just go out into the world and I say, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure out how to worship God however I wanna worship God, I will always descend towards idolatry. So God has given us his word to show us this is the right way. This is what I desire. This is what I require of you. So the only way that you can know what it is that God desires and requires of you is to get to know God through his word. And those are all things that we will consider and study together here on Sunday mornings as we go through God's word together. But I, I hope that you are discovering you know, the answers to some of these questions about what God requires and desires of you yourself as you are studying the scriptures privately. There is, the scriptures make very clear in this passage, there is a proper place that God is to be worshiped and there is a proper pattern for God to be worshiped. And then that leads us third into the purity of Israel's worship. So we see four things in this section of scripture. The, the place of God's worship, the pattern of God's worship, the purity of how Israel was to worship God, and then finally, the purpose. So third, we're going to look at the purity of God's worship. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 12, beginning at verse 15. God says here, however, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your heart desires, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. The unclean and the clean may eat of it, of the gazelle and the deer alike. Only you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it on the earth like water. Now, let me just pause there for a moment because this is kind of a weird thing that's going on here in this passage. And we're talking about the purity of worshiping God, how they were to worship God in a pure and right way. And here in this passage, God is telling the children of Israel that when they bring sacrifices and offerings to the Lord, they would give a portion to the Lord and then they would also have a feast with the other portion of it. And when they would sacrifice this offering, he says, you need to have all of the blood go out of this. You're not to eat the offering with the blood because the life is in the blood. So he's explaining all this. I'm gonna explain why this is important in just a moment, but continuing on, look at what he says in verse 23. Only be sure that you do not eat the blood for the blood is the life. You may not eat the life with the meat. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it on the earth like water. You shall not eat it, verse 25, that it may go well with you and your children after you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Only the holy things, verse 26, note this, only the holy things which you have and your vowed offerings you shall take and go to the place which the Lord chooses. And you shall offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood on the altar of the Lord your God. And the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the meat. Now this section of scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 15 through 27, it may seem like a long list of really weird regulations of eating the right meats in the right way and, and not eating them with the blood. But ultimately, these things here point back to this idea that your worship is to be holy and pure. 
It's to be only offered to the Lord in a way that is right before him, in the right place, after the right pattern. It's to be holy and pure. And in the New Testament, even though we don't necessarily have these issues outlined for us in the New Testament, in the New Testament, we are called to holiness. Just as the children of Israel, they were called to holiness in their worship. That's what all these weird things in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 15 and 27 are all about. It's about their worship being holy before the Lord. We are called to holiness. Now, holiness, what is that? Holiness is a consecration and a separation of a thing or of ourselves to God. And repeatedly, we see the call in the scriptures to be holy. We see it especially in the Old Testament, especially in books like Deuteronomy. But we also see it in the New Testament. The Apostle Peter in the New Testament book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to your former desires or lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. I want you to get this. This is really important. When the Lord is my God, he calls me to be set apart and holy. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that I need to eat the meat without the blood, like he's talking about here in Deuteronomy chapter 12, but maybe it does. Maybe that's part of it. But more than eating meats without blood, this means that I seek by God's grace and by his enabling power to live in a way that honors and glorifies him. I seek to be set apart and holy to God. So here in this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 12, we, we see that we have the place of Israel's worship. We have the pattern of their worship. The place was to be chosen by God. They were not to worship God in every place. They were to follow a prescribed pattern to offer the right offerings in the right way. They weren't just to worship God in whatever way they thought they wanted to worship God. And then their worship needed to be pure. So the purity of their worship, the I'm sorry, the place, the pattern, the purity of their worship. Finally, we see in this passage, the purpose of all this. What's the point of all of this? Why should Israel worship in the right place and in the pure and right way? Well, for one, they're to worship in the right place and in the right way, according to the right pattern, with pure worship because it fulfills the commandments of God. The, the first three commandments of God, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter five, verse seven, we see the very first three commandments are all dealing with the worship of God. They say this, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So the first three of the 10 commandments have to do with not worshiping and serving any other God, not making any graven image and not taking the name of the Lord in vain. And so we wanna make sure that we have the right place of worship, we have the right pattern of worship, and that we worship God in a pure and undefiled way so that we fulfill his command, commandments. But in addition to keeping the commandments, what was the purpose of worshiping God in the right place and in this pure and right way? Well, Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 28, 
Observe and obey all of these words which I command to you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. A life dedicated to proper worship is a life that secures eternal good. Look at what he says there, that it will go well with you and your children forever. Again, a life dedicated to proper worship is a life that secures eternal good. And this isn't new. We, we've already seen this previously back in Deuteronomy chapter 10. We saw this last week, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Israel's worship of God in the right place, after the right pattern, in a pure and righteous way would result in fellowship with God and the enjoyment of his blessings. These things were, were to be done for your good. As you walk in these ways, these things will work out for your good. Therefore, Moses wraps up this section by saying, when the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow after them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I will also do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord, which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. So, God's word to his people in this passage is that you, you when you go into the land, you're going to purge the land uh, of all of the idolatry and you're going to establish right worship of the one true God in the place and after the pattern that he prescribes. And as you do these things, you'll enjoy his blessing and his presence. And for us, though we don't live in ancient Israel and though, though we don't follow all the ceremonial laws of Israel prescribed here in the Old Testament, in the Torah, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, we do, when God comes into our lives, need to have our lives sanctified by the presence of His Spirit, where He removes all of the old dead things that we have bowed down to and devoted ourselves to, all kinds of things that were a distraction and ultimately leading to judgment, we need to remove those things and exalt God over our lives. We don't have the place that we go to, but we have the person that we go to, Jesus Christ. And he is to be exalted in my life. He's to take the place of supremacy and primacy. And he is to be the one that I give proper worship to. And I offer myself and I offer all that I have to him. And as I do these things, as enabled by the spirit of God to do these things, then I experience God's, the fullness of God's presence and the, the fullness of his blessing as well. And so that's my prayer, that as God is doing work in us, he will be removing from us all of the old dead things that we bowed our lives down to, that we devoted ourselves to, and that he would become the one who occupies the place in our lives of honor and devotion. And as we honor, honor him and devote ourselves to him, then we experience his presence and his blessing. So God, I do pray that you would do a work in our lives with every single person who's hearing these words, that you, by your spirit, would be working in us to remove from us anything that is a distraction, anything that is being, uh, taking the place of devotion in our lives and that we would exalt you to that place and that we'd worship you in the right way. 
that as Peter said, we would sanctify you in our hearts and God, that you would do a work of total transformation and we'd experience your presence and your blessing. The blessing of the fruit of the spirit, God, would be overflowing from us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all these things. Make that abundant in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.